our good friend Anna Catalano, a co-founder of the World Innovation Network of TWIN and a board member and a good friend will guide us through a conversation with three of the most purpose-driven people I know in the world. We're all familiar with Phil Kotler who brought marketing science into the 20th and now into the 21st century. Uh, not an exaggeration to say he's influenced millions of people worldwide with his work and his genuine uh, interest in their future. Harry Kramer, we all know my colleague at Kellogg, Harry Kramer, and also at Madison Dearborn Partners. There have been a few times in my career where I've had an ethical question to discuss, and Harry's the fellow that I call. And Denise Young-Smith and I met um, earlier this year through the Chicago Network, one of our partners, and I was not only inspired by her words and her insights, but also by the fact that she happens to be a, an operatic soprano. That's not part of the program today, but that gives you a sense for who these people are. So with that, Anna Catalano and the team of Purpose. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Okay, no excuse for you guys not being awake. I'm the one that flew in. I flew in from Dublin yesterday on a nine-hour flight, got here, dropped my bags off at my condo, ran in here just to see if I could catch any etudes, only to find an Irish tenor singing on the stage. So I'm like, okay, there's a theme. There's a theme for me this week. Anyway, I'm going to ask the, or my three panelists to just come on out um, while, while we open this. Part, you know, Ken, is, Ken has always been... Twin, sorry. God, that was a slip. Twin has... Um, this organization has always been part of expanding our brains by learning about new things that are happening in the world. But a big part of what this is about is also about learning and meeting really, really fascinating people. And this next half hour, we're going to do a little bit of both and learn a little bit about the journey, the personal journey that these three folks have had and how that's impacted how they lead. So um, we, we know Harry. Uh, Rob introduced everyone, so I'm not going to spend any time doing that. Um, we know Harry and Phil from past um, involvement in the organization, uh, Kin now twin. Um, but Denise is new, and I know a lot of people who I chatted with yesterday have met Denise already, so you've kind of made the rounds and you've, bit, you've yeah. kind of figured out how this works. Yeah. Um, but what I'd like to do is, um, as Rob alluded to, Denise's story has been really interesting and very unique. She was former um, uh, SVP of talent, she was CHRO at Apple for, uh, and was at Apple for over 20 years. Um, yes, she is, a, she is an opera singer. Her first DVD is coming out next month, right? It's next week. Next week, next week. Um, and she is now um, uh, executive in residence at, the, at Cornell Tech. I think everyone has um, speaker bios, so I won't go into that. But what I'd love to do is um, have Denise ex explain a little bit of her story and how you journey from kind of a corporate experience, incorporate your personal passion for music, and then made a decision to do what you're doing now, and how purpose has driven your decisions. Sure. How much time do we have? <laughs> uh, I think that the first thing, the, the first thing that I'd have to uh, say is um, it, it definitely has been a journey, and I don't believe that purpose is a kind of static point but kind of perpetual motion uh, of alignment, but I'll, I'll get into that in a moment. But uh, um, I loved, um, sitting right in front of me, Jeffrey, I loved your, this segment um, last night, so thank you so much for that. And, uh, <laughs> um, 
My parents had uh, a, I'm going to date myself a little bit, they had an eight millimeter uh, film, I can't even oh. say video, but of me at uh, a very young age uh, at my fifth birthday party. And at my fifth birthday party, when I could look back on this, um, I was pulling you know, various members of the neighborhood children together and putting them in the backyard and staging a talent show and directing it and you know picking picking the ones you know selecting the folks who had you know more talent in this area and that area and featuring them and shaping an experience for you know all How great all the, to have that on you know, so so I knew then you know that I was all about optimizing performance um, that I could see talent um, in others um, and I loved, you know, what Jeffrey said last night was around, um, which really resonated for me is um, everyone is creative. Right. And I think from an early stage in life, whether I was aware or cognizant of it or not, I realized that it was my purpose in life to live a creative life. Um, and so it, it, was, it was very apparent to me early, um, not the exact path, but that, that that was the general direction of, of what I would be doing. Um, fast forward, and, uh, you know, I, and I also have to say a little bit about my, my family. I was an only, only child. Um, my father, uh, I'm the daughter of a sharecropper son. So, you know, humble beginnings. My father uh, was raised in Louisiana, uh, joined the Navy, and ultimately served in two wars, but ultimately moved to Colorado. So I love that we set the tone with the governor of, of Colorado. Uh, but he ultimately moved to Colorado because uh, his mother uh, died of tuberculosis. And so there was a strain of tuberculosis uh, potentially in the family. And he wanted to move somewhere where, you know, uh, the environment you know, lent itself toward healing, and also where they could get, you know, equal treatment and healthcare. Uh, he came from the Jim Crow South, and they were not able to get treatment for, for this. So he was determined to move to a place where that would no longer be the case. So we end up in Colorado. Uh, I grew up in Colorado Springs, and, um, you know, it was a wonderful place to, to, to grow up, and, uh, um, my family encouraged me toward experiences, any and every kind of experiences. My mother was from New York, my father was from Louisiana. My mother was really the one who encouraged and pushed the creative side and those kinds of experiences. My father pushed the, um, you know, again, African-American family in that era, they said, okay, we know you love that, all of that right brain stuff. But the stereotype is that we can all sing and dance. And so you're going to get an education and you're going to follow that path, right? So, you know, being a young person who, you know, loved my parents and wanted to please my parents, I, I did. I, very, I was very decided and purposed about that, but I was created to create. So I somehow, uh, in some sort of youthful wisdom, understood that I had to leave that part of me open 
And uh, so fast forward again, um, I started uh, in Colorado Springs working for Apple. They had this wonderful manufacturing uh, facility there, self-directed work teams, it was very exciting. And I joined uh, uh, to do recruiting. I had actually never done recruiting before. Um, so I kind of ended up, I was an accidental HR person, but the recruiting at the underpin, <laughs> underpinnings of that was many, finding, many are. Was, underpinnings yeah. of that was finding talent, right? Uh, and so that, that was my first you know, role there. And uh, I'll never forget the, uh, the individual that hired me, the, the, uh, the plant manager and the head of uh, the branch HR said, you know, she's gonna be good for Apple in the long run. And uh, I thought, okay, I'll hold on to that. Um, I joined Apple uh, and it, it, Steve uh, had been, it was, a, it was an era where Steve had already been ousted. Mm -hmm. So there were some other leaders and it wasn't quite as focused and, and uh, they ended up divesting that particular uh, facility. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I spent a, a couple of years, two or three years doing that. I thought, well, this was fun. And, you know, I'll just do something else. And they called me from California and said, um, oh, we've got a lot of stuff for you to do in, in Cupertino, so why don't you come out here? And I thought, pick up my family and move to the most expensive place on earth. Why would I do this, <laughs> right? Uh, but I ended up doing that, moved out. Um, the dot-com era was absolutely booming. And under the less focused leadership, Apple wasn't doing so great. Right. If people in the audience might remember that. And so I left and went and did some other fun stuff. And then one day I got a call back from you know, colleagues at Apple that said, Steve's back. He dropped the I from his name. Remember that was interim CEO. He had dropped the I from his name. We have a glimpse of some really exciting things that he's going to be doing and you need to get back here now. And so within a few months I had rejoined uh, Apple and I headed up at employee relations function. Um, I had a boss, the uh, SVP of HR at that point in time, who pulled me aside and said, uh, we have something that we'd like you to work on. It was kind of a little confidential project. Um, if you know anything about the culture of Apple, when people say a confidential project, then you know something's up, right? And uh, it ended up being, you know, the the early concept of the retail stores. And they said to me, you know, we want you to work on this, kind of set it up, get all the systems set up, blah, blah, blah. And I did, and they still did my other job, but I did that. And uh, so they launched the first couple of stores, and I said, I think this is gonna kind of be a big deal. So you need to get someone to, um, <laughs> you need to get someone to head this up, you know, head up the people function of this. And so they, you know, they took a couple of months and they looked around and they talked to people and they came back to me and they said, uh, we would like you to do this. And I was like, okay, so wait, I'm like a really competent shoe shopper, but I know nothing about retail. I'm a tech girl, right? So I, I, I don't want to do that. And uh, they said, um, go talk to Ron. Ron Johnson was the SVP. Uh, who worked jointly with Steve to create everything from the Genius Bar to, you know, every, you know kind of all of the markers, the real estate strategy, all of those things. And uh, they said, go talk to Ron. So we went for a walk 
And uh, we talked, and at no point in time did he ever say anything to me about, we want you to run the HR function. Because I probably would have said, no, I like my other job better, right? Um, he said to me, I need a partner um, in creating an amazing culture uh, where people are actualized and customers are actualized and all of that can come together and it's just this amazing experience. So that becomes a purpose. That becomes a major purpose. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I was, at that moment, I was, I was signed up. Um, and I thought, okay, well, three or four years, well, 12 years I spent. Um, so 12 years, almost 13 of my Apple experience was spent creating that experience, creating and, and uh, uh, creating, developing, developing habitual excellence where people were connected to purpose. Um, and people who, you know, even from part-time to full-time you know, full career, folks within those stores, um, who understood very clearly every day what their purpose was, what their North Star was, what their mission was. They loved it, they were connected to it, and it didn't matter if they were in back of house, you know, right. counting, you know, right. uh, SKUs, uh, or if they were out front welcoming people, they were all connected to it and they understood it. And uh, um, I, it, we did that all over the world. That's, that's amazing. So, so um, you know, those of us who interact with Apple, and that's probably a lot of people here in the room, know that, you know, this whole concept of what it feels like to be associated with Apple is really part of the brand and culture of Apple. Um, you know, we've got, we've got Harry and Phil here who have spent their careers um, seeing things evolve. Harry was CEO of Baxter before and now is with Madison Dearborn and, and looking at where, do, where should investors put their money behind the right kinds of companies. Um, Phil, who started out, I first knew Phil because he was author of all my marketing textbooks in college. Um, so the first time That's I met him, I was actually a little nervous. Um, but you know, marketing started out selling, selling products, selling consumer products, and that's where, that's where Phil wrote the book on, on how that's done. Marketing has evolved into something that means so much more and so much more strategic. So as you two listen to Denise's story about how you start with a job, and it evolves into something with purpose. What are, what are your thoughts and, and, and you know, well, how do you yeah. think about it? Let me make some observations. Um, <clears throat> I'm right now working, and it's gonna connect with Apple, on the question of what a corporation can do to really have a, a purpose and a higher purpose. Um, they, they've got their purposes, but maybe they should embrace m a more ambitious purpose too. Uh, and Apple, for example, has introduced so much into the world, it's, it's clear that they could feel very good about making the world a better place, although they could be controversial about whether we're a better place because, because of Apple. Right. <laughs> um, we're wondering about Facebook and some of the others, and uh, there's a, maybe a dark side, but not that it was intended that way. Sure. But the main thing is, I'm interested in what a company can add, as, add value from a higher purpose. So uh, let's take a, a company like Patagonia. Patagonia makes garments and they can leave it at that because they do a good job. Right. But they also want to tell you to 
don't throw away the garments, sew them up, keep using them, and when you can't use them anymore, give the garment to someone else. I mean, it's sort of a way to destroy your market. I mean, maybe they want us to be with the same outfit all our lives, and, and there will be some good things. But they have a, a really good purpose, an environmental purpose. When I heard about Apple, thought about Apple, I don't know if they have a higher purpose. They've done such a wonderful job as it is. But more companies, companies are the energy of the society, basically. They have the, the money and, the, and the, they are global, many of them. And it's time that they begin to embrace what I call the common good. Common good is a drive to increase the number of happy and satisfied people in the world. If you go back to Jeremy Bentham, the English jurist, he said, as a utilitarian, we want to create the greatest good for the greatest number. And that stuck with me because whenever I think of something that's controversial, like taking uh, the side uh, of the gun issue or the abortion issue, what side is going to contribute more to the greater good? And then when it comes to brands, brands can be made stronger and they have to always have maybe more to their message than just making a car or making this or that. And I'm into what is called brand activism. And that means showing that you're connected with a cause that is for the common good. And there are some, an increasing number of brands that have said, we do want to help out. Mm -hmm. We just don't want to make, prof making profit is not enough. We want to make profit by doing good too. So that's where I am now, that's with great. brand activism and common good thinking. Great, Harry? Well, I, I think uh, Professor Kotler makes such a great point about this higher purpose and, and what, uh, from a business perspective, is, is the role. And, and as we all know, very often there is this confusion, I think, among senior people in companies of, boy, you know, I've got all these stakeholders, right? I, I'd like to have a higher purpose. I, I, I would like to be a, a better leader. I'd like to develop my team. I'd rather have all these stakeholders, but, but boy, they're, they're all in conflict with one another, and, and therefore I've got this shareholder thing and I have to generate a return. And, and I, I like the way Professor Kyle says, you know, sometimes if you just step back, and, and for me it's all about self-reflection, putting things in perspective and saying, wait a minute, is there necessarily a conflict here? And, and I often describe it to the Kellogg students. I say, well, look, if you're in business and you're in a, a, a for-profit, okay, yeah, you need to generate a profit. I, I get that. But how do you generate a profit? Well, very simply, the first thing you need is phenomenal people. Not good, but you need phenomenal people. Well, the world we're living in today, and I think it's one of the great things of the younger generation, they're not going to work for an organization that they don't believe has a higher purpose and wants to do the right thing. So by doing the right thing with the higher purpose, I'm probably able to attract much better people, number one. Number two, uh, I need this thing called customers, which this professor taught us a lot about. And if I think about it, if, if, if you are the customer and you have a choice of buying the product from either Phil or I, I'm focused on shareholder value. That's what I'm focused mm -hmm. on. Phil, Phil likes to generate a profit, but he wants to make a difference and do the right thing. I would argue if the price of those products or the quality is anywhere close, any normal customer is going to buy the product from Phil. Mm -hmm. So 
Very, very simple equation. If I'm doing the right thing with a higher purpose, and therefore generating phenomenal people and having a great relationship with the customer, I'll be able to generate a profit. So this whole idea that this is in some dramatic conflict and I can't do both, I, I think is a very short-term perspective, I would say. Well, I think, you know, the other interesting thing is, because, because Phil brings up the fact that, you know, sometimes this is unintended. Sometimes your impact on society might be unintended. Facebook didn't set out to have the impact, potentially, that they now have on the, on, on the, on the world. You know, a lot of companies start out and they say, okay, first we're gonna make products, Patagonia. We now need a higher purpose because we need to attract talent and, and customers. But sometimes you realize, you wake up one day and realize, oh my goodness, we are actually impacting how society works. Mm -hmm. Unintentionally, is this happening with Apple? Is this happening with organizations like Facebook? Have they, Facebook I don't think intentionally set out to, to have the impact maybe that they do, but you now have the responsibility. You now have this thrown into your lap, and so therefore, what do you do about it? How do you feel about companies that, that intentionally need to think about purpose versus ones that all of a sudden realize, oh my goodness, we didn't mean to do this, but now we have to show up at a Senate hearing and talk about why this is an issue? Well, it's not easy. I was, let's take the automobile industry. A car company could say, I'll just make a passable car that's working, and another one can say, I want one that really uh, sets a high standard of excellence, and that has happened. And then someone else might say, uh, I want uh, a car that is uh, electric, it won't consume too much uh, gas and, and bad things, and then I want to actually make a self-driving car, which is not the idea of always improve what you make, it's actually breakthrough right. to a new thing to make. And so Elon Musk represents that kind of thing, but he realizes there's the, the new kind of car has ecological things, there's battery issues and so on. And before you know it, uh, what, what the right thing for a company that makes vehicles should be is, is how to make transportation easier for people. And maybe such a company should be into scooters and bikes uh, and not just thinking, I am a car guy. But uh, so there's so many degrees of, of purpose, so many purpose layers right. open to someone with imagination. Well, Henry Ford once said, if I asked my customers yeah. what they would want, they would tell me I want a faster horse, right? Huh. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how you look at strategy and how you look at how you define your business going forward. Um, let me ask a question. You know, most of us, I, I think the four of us kind of started our, our careers with going out and finding a job. You know, you, you had to, you got out of school, you need to find a job. And, and at some point, I think all four of us realized that there was more to the job and more to the career than just the paycheck. And we were in a position to impact and make a difference. Can you think of some of the defining moments that you guys have had in your life that caused that to happen, to share with our audience? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room that are in the process, potentially thinking about making changes and, and, and really thinking about the importance of personal purpose, organizational purpose. Harry, you want to start? Sure. Um because I think this is such an important topic, and, and it's something that uh, Rob and I've talked about a lot. If you think about virtually everyone in the room, we've got so many things we want to do. 
Um, and we have all these areas of our career, our family, our spirituality, our health, exercise, you know, making a difference in the world. And when you're bright and you want to make a difference, there's usually this view of, well, I'll just go faster and faster because the faster I go, maybe I can get more done. And, and the question I always ask students and executives, ha have we confused activity and productivity? We're very active. <laughs> uh, how productive are we? Or are we moving so fast, we, we have no idea. And I had the opportunity uh, very early on. I, I was dating a young woman and uh, got fairly serious. And I got a, suddenly I got a call from her father. And he said, hey, I know there's something serious going on. We need to spend some time together. And I said, super, super, file free. No, 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 you come up to Minnesota. We're going to spend the weekend together. So I flew up to Minnesota, first weekend in December. It was the first mistake I made. Uh, 20 <laughs> below zero. And I'm thinking, hey, we'll go to a Viking game. We'll have a little bit of fun. He said, no, no, we're not going to Viking game. I think you need to slow down. And you need to start to think about what's your values, what's your purpose, what are you doing with your life, and how this thing is going with my daughter. <laughs> and I said, okay. I didn't say super at this point. And, and he said, uh, I said, what are we going to do? He said, what we're going to do is we're going to go on a, on a retreat together this weekend. And I said, okay, um, what, what's a retreat? And he said, well, this is going to be difficult for you. Now, it kind of bothered me. He didn't tell me this until I got off the airplane. But he said, uh, you can't shut up for three minutes. Uh, it's a silent retreat. You're not going to be talking for three days. Oh, jeez. Um, and that's when I asked myself the obvious question, how much do I like this guy's yeah. daughter, right? Uh, but being, worth a, it. being a Kellogg finance guy, sunk cost, I'm already there. Might as well figure this out. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 actually, I actually went on this a retreat. And if you've never been on one of these things, you don't talk. And literally, they give you exercises to think about. What's your purpose? What are your values? What difference do you want to make in your life? And you did this for three days. Wow. And uh, first time I ever shut up for any period of time. And at the end of the three days, they tell you, this shouldn't be a one-time event. You should spend 15 minutes every day of your life doing a personal self-examination. Right. What's my purpose? What matters? What did I do today? How have I been positive? How have I been negative? If I have tomorrow, sooner or later I won't, how can I make a difference in the world? So I thought, hey, 15 minutes, I'll start doing that. And I've done that for 15 minutes for the, each of the last wow. 39 years. Right. Wow. And the crazy last part of the story is I married his daughter. And uh, <laughs> for, the last 30, for the last now 39 consecutive years, wherever I am in the world, I'm usually out of the country at least a week a month, but for the last 39 years, the first weekend in December, this time it's December the 6th, I fly to St. Paul, I meet my father-in-law, we do this three-day oh. retreat every I year. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. Wow. Great story. Great yeah. story. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> puts it, and it puts everything into perspective. Puts everything into wow. perspective. Yeah. Okay. I'd love to add, to add to that. Um, again, I think that this, this concept of purpose is motion. And it's all the time, whether it's daily, hourly, whatever, but frequently enough, the right cadence for you. Asking the questions of what matters, why does it matter, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Because then that connects you. It aligns an alignment. And if you think about, you know, kind of singers or performers, there's always this kind of alignment, this connection with your core and with who you are. Uh, but there's this alignment that then fosters authenticity. And then authenticity allows you to connect better with people. And when you connect better with people, then ultimately do you develop empathy. <laughs> Right? So I would be in business meetings at Apple or, or, or planning meetings, whatever, and I'd be talking about this. 
and they would listen and they would be really intrigued and they'd say, okay, so now let's get back to business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, real, I realized my impact on, on the company, on business, when one day that was not a separate conversation. And when one day it became yeah. integral to the business and the planning and the conversation. And then ultimately, over evolution of time, it led, we started with the people. Okay, Denise, what's going on? Mm -hmm. What's the climate? What are we doing? How are people in the stores? What do you feel? Because, you know, if from a smart business strategic, you know, uh, kind of a North Star, it's how are these people touching the millions of customers you know, all over the world. You know, they, they're, they're making $12 an hour, you know, anywhere from 12 to 15 you know, an hour. And so, you know, this is not a, a, a proportionate investment that we're making. Yeah. So we have to give them something of value uh, and invest, you know, in, in ways in their experience so that they in turn can then convey that. Convey that. And so that, that development of authenticity, connection, and empathy well said, absolutely. Was essential and crucial. Phil. Yeah, just uh, an experience. I received a phone call some years ago from a fellow with a German accent, turned uh, out to be Peter Drucker. So I thought someone was fooling me, but he <laughs> said, I want you to come over to California if you can, because he said, I'm working on nonprofit organizations. I love orchestras and so on. And you, you're, you're the guy who's written a lot about nonprofit organizations. And so we spent three days together looking at his art collection, everything else, and I learned so much. One of the things I learned is when, it, there is a time when you want to change the direction in which you're going. And the way Peter Drucker would put it is, uh, he would discover that there was something he was needing and missing in intellectually, and he would stop everything else and spend a year going into that subject. And uh, to me, that was a very good lesson. Uh, as I'm, I'm really an economist teaching marketing because I think, I think that the economists do not recognize that marketing is very much the essence of what they're doing. They only think of price. So I said to myself, I'm gonna stop doing my marketing for a while because my real interest is getting back into real economics, and I ended up looking at capitalism, which is to tackle something really big. <laughs> I'm doing just part of it, marketing. And I ended up writing the book, Spending Time, called uh, Confronting Capitalism, because I found 14 things we could, you know, all the way from income inequality, which is growing and just at the heart of most of our problems, and other things. And I did that again later because I saw that, that, that capitalism was eating up our democracy because you can't run as a politician without money and the people who have the money, you better serve them and their interests more than anyone else. So I ended up taking another year in a subject I never studied, which is democracy. And so I wrote Democracy in Decline. Who knows what I'll be doing next, but the main thing is sometimes you realize maybe you've done enough and of what you've done and you're looking for the next thing that was missing. Well, you know, one of the first things that, that we said in this panel was the purpose is a journey. And I think you just reinforced that. 
um, the importance of learning and, and being, being willing to go deep and really discovering what new interesting things um, are worth spending time on. Um, well, I think we're, run, we're out of time, but this has been a fabulous panel. I've, I've taken some notes here. My, my, the first note I had was that purpose is a journey. And I think that for many of us, um, every day that we have on this earth brings an opportunity to find new and exciting things to be excited about. And I w encourage everyone to continue to explore because that's what makes life interesting. That's what makes it interesting to get up in the morning. Um, we should not confuse activity with productivity. Yes. And how many of us do that on a day in and day out basis? How many of us measure how successful people are because of how busy they are? Um, Harry's point of his driving home the importance of reflection time, 15 minutes every day, really taking time to think about what's the bigger issue? What are things that I need to um, put my talents toward to see if I can help someone or inspire someone to do something different. And then Denise's connection of authenticity, connection, and empathy. Um, the importance of realizing that the secret to being authentic is not to go with the four-step process of being authentic, but to really have a connection to what's your purpose, what's the meaning, and what is it you want to spend your time with. And that's when it becomes very easy to be authentic because you're being yourself. So I'd like for everyone to, well, to thank this wonderful panel. I hope you get to spend more time with them. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Harry. Great, great being with you. Great. Okay. Thank you so much.